Good day, everyone, and welcome to today's episode of JA's Recipe for Success. I'm Laurie Salarulo. I'm your host for the show and the president and CEO of Junior Achievement of South Florida. You know, I absolutely think that I have the best job in the whole world because I not only get to uh, watch 50,000 of our young people in this community uh, just prepare and get ready for the future to get excited and, and to literally transform their lives through these programs. But it's amazing to me that because I also get to spend time on this show with leaders in this community, advocates, uh, community advocates, uh, passionate, passionate uh, people who uh, stand up for what they believe in and uh, lead their companies to be the best. And, and so what an inspiration for me and a privilege. So today's guest is someone that I just am meeting for the first time. And I love that because, you know, a lot of our guests I already know for years, but I love when I get to meet somebody new and learn all about them and, and bring them to you as well. And so today's guest is Michael Fichtel, and he is the CEO and managing partner of Kelly Cronenberg's. Uh, and he joined the firm, wow, in 1987. Is that right, Michael? Was it really? Yes, 1987? 1987. First job. Wow. wow. Well, welcome to JA's Recipe for Success. Happy to have you with us today and uh, to be introduced to you as well. Thank you, Lori. Very nice to meet you as well. Good. Are you guys in the office or are you working remotely? No, I am in the office. I've been coming into the office uh, really throughout the pandemic. Um, we had closed and worked. Everybody was working amongst our 400 employees or so. They were all working remotely. But I myself uh, and still came to the office each and every day, at least for two thirds of the day, if not the full day. Mm, yeah. Um, you know, I think uh, people are ready to, even the people who kind of were enjoying working remotely there for a while, I think a lot of them are now getting to the point where it's like, I want to get out of the house and go to the office a little bit. Um, I know I enjoy going. I go about three times a week just to make sure our team is, is all well. Um, you know, while we're talking about the pandemic and the virus and, and everything that's going on, Share with me, if you would, if, if you could share one or two ingredients that have gotten the firm through this, right? What would those things be? Well, I think we had a very good, uh, loyal employee base to begin with. Um, and coupled with the fact that we were a little bit ahead of the curve in our technology, uh, something that we had invested heavily in several years ago. And as a result, the transition from office to home was a very seamless one. Um, and once people got there and they continued to show um, great productivity and um, we continued to have uh, emphasis on engaging our employees at all levels, it just worked. It flew, it, it, it flowed very, very nicely and has continued to flow very nicely. Um, we did recently in the last 30 days or so open up into phases uh, every two weeks, beginning with phase one, allowing 25% of our employees back in the office if they wanted to. And if, if of course it was, safe for them to do so um, and then continued upwards towards the 50% mark and we're now operating under what we call the 75% mark or phase three uh, of the program. Right. Well, that's great. You know, I love that. You know, so you mentioned something that I think is one of the most critical things that companies can do right at all times but especially during times like these and you mentioned investing in technology right and so I think I think about technology, I think about marketing, and I think about our people. 
talk about the importance of investing in those things, not just during a crisis, but you know, before, but I, but I also think that many times we pull back on those investments during the crisis. And I'm not sure that's the right strategy. Talk a little bit about your- Yeah, sure, no, absolutely. I think we've always recognized investing in our people was of paramount importance. That was the first ingredient, for lack of a better word, to go into the recipe. Um, so that was something that we have done throughout my career and early on and continue to do and put a very, very, very significant emphasis on. Um, coupled with that, technology came second, um, and really technology allowed us to be uh, much more competitive, much more efficient, um, allowed us to be consistent in our delivery to our clients uh, and prospective clients. Uh, and of course, today, it's allowing us to leverage and scale at levels that we had never been able to do before um, in the industry. So we've been big, big believers and big contributors and investors into the technology sector of our business for many years. I love that. Um, you know, and I, I do think people first is so important. Um, you know, I think one of the hardest things as a CEO, at least in my experience, has always been um, building that the culture. Right. Uh, I think that is just I, if we can go out, you know, where if you're a natural born fundraiser or salesperson, you can go out and get business. Right. It's what you love to do. If you're an amazing lawyer or business person. Right. You have those skills. But building a culture I mean, you have so many personalities involved in all that. And and it starts with, in my opinion, the key is hiring the right people. Right. Absolutely. What is it that makes someone right for Kelly Cronenberg? Well, we go to uh, several measures when we interview and when we uh, put out there into the community that we're looking for people, particularly young people. Um, we do predictive indexes, which is a um, almost like a little personality. It's nothing too deep, but at least gives you an indication of the type of personality that the person who may be coming in, coupled with the person who we're looking to place them with. Since we are a large employer, uh, as I mentioned earlier, with almost 400 employees and 10 offices throughout Florida, we have a lot of different personalities that we're hiring for. So we wanna make sure that first and foremost, the person we're hiring internally for is a match with the external candidate. So predictive index is one way. Uh, the other way is really you know, cultivating relationships with whether it be law schools, whether it be uh, work agencies, things that are bringing you a good pool of people uh, in the industry that you, you happen to work in. So we, over the years, have developed those relationships with local law schools, with local universities. We have a lot of mentorship programs so that we are getting to introduce ourselves to young people early on in their, uh, not so much their career, but before their career even begins. Uh, we have summer associate programs that allow us to um, hire lawyers that, again, are not lawyers by way of the, the bar, having passed the bar and being licensed, but in law school. And we get to give them a good experience throughout the summers. And then a lot of them end up staying on and many end up staying on after they do take the bar and pass it. So that's important to us. Um, but the culture really is something we've worked hard at, um, starting with, in recent years, the hiring of a new chief human resource officer, Barbara Pandas. She's been an invaluable uh, help in getting us to have the culture that we have today. We always had a good culture, but we're always looking to evolve it, make it better. Um, the flexibility is another thing that we're big on and we feel is part of the recipe to a good culture. In today's world in particular, I come from a very different generation as do my two other owner partners in that 
Um, we, we made a lot of sacrifices and we did not have that work-life balance that is so important today in young people. And actually I've recognized in my own life and my partners have as well, how important that really is to the success of an organization and your own personal successes as well. So I think flexibility is another area that mm -hmm. is a very, very important part or ingredient to uh, what culture is. And then of course, we've made it clear that over the years, we have had difficulties. We've had problematic people. We all have had those experiences in our businesses, uh, but we've made it very clear that we're not going to sacrifice the overall culture for profitability or for success of one individual or one group. Uh, so when we do find that maybe um, someone who we courted and interviewed and ultimately um, brought on, along or brought into the firm uh, may not have been the person that we thought they were when we hired them, uh, we separate ourselves from that person. We do not sacrifice the remainder of our culture and the remainder of our firm and our people uh, and their experience for the benefit of one or a few. Yeah, and you know, that, I think that kind of goes to um, attitude, right, over aptitude. So, because somebody can be the most skilled lawyer in the world, but they could be arrogant and ruin, as you said, the culture. And so, you know, do you look at profitability or do you look at culture? And I, I love hearing when people are committed to that. Um, you know, it's interesting, you mentioned the work-life balance thing. So I think I come from the same era as all of you. And, you know, we live to work. Right. I've worked 24 seven almost my whole life. Right. Three jobs when I was in high school and college and, you know, first starting out on my own. I mean, and you're right. The young people today have they live to work. Right. I mean, they I mean, they work to live. They really want to enjoy their life. And it's really interesting. You hear that that whole work life balance thing, mostly in rooms full of women. And so I love that I'm hearing you say this because I think often we don't realize that we, we're all struggling with that balance, right? And so how do you make sure and what are some of the things that you do to make sure that you, and, and I'm not sure we have a really balance. I kind of, I call it more integration, but because I'll never be in balance, but uh, how do you make sure that you are integrating the most important things in your life and making time for them all? Well, I've had to learn, certainly over the last number of years, more so than ever before, because the way it sounds, you came up in the professional world. I, too, grew up in that scenario where I had many jobs as a kid uh, at the same time, uh, not sleeping much often, particularly in summers when school was out. Uh, and as I got older and I got into my profession, I did work pretty much 24-7. And as I said, I made a lot of sacrifices. Um, but having said that, um, I've really learned from the younger generations, my own children who are uh, millennials. Um, I've obviously learned from a number of people here in the firm who are millennials and younger uh, and, and have the, that, that good, as you say, work-life balance, or at least that idea of what should be a good work-life balance. And I've had to in, implement that into my own life, and I've, and I've, I've started to enjoy it. Um, I've started going out more in the last five or six years. I've started traveling more in the last five or six years. Prior to five or six years ago, I would never take off more than two or three days at a time, not a, not mm -hmm. even a week. Uh, wow. Today and in the last three years particularly, I travel to Europe in the summers. I live in Europe for a month uh, and, and work from there remotely. Um, and it's something that I've started to really enjoy as a result of Again, we can go back to technology and other means by which it's a little easier to do uh, than it was maybe in mine or, or our generation in the earlier years. Right. Um, 
So that's important. And, you know, you talk a little bit about culture and this kind of plays into what we're talking about now. Um, we've always had a telecommuting policy for many years, well before the pandemic. We promoted uh, working in a remote environment. Um, when I was practicing, I haven't in about 10, 12 years now, but when I was practicing, my paralegal uh, 15 years ago decided to move from Fort, Fort Lauderdale, where I practice, to Atlanta. And I didn't want to lose her. So we, we went out and we got what was one of the first uh, systems where you could see each other and at video teleconferencing and things like that. It was a very expensive proposition, but to me, it was worth it. And that was well before it was very in vogue. That was well before even technology, uh, at least affordable technology, made it so easy to do. So that's something, again, that I think is important, you know, putting into play the technology that's available today with the flexibilities, the cultures, the work-life balance, the millennials and what their needs are. And all this goes to one thing and, and what's most important, and we come back to it, and that is where we started in that, you know, our employees first. We want long-term employees. We want people to be happy working here at the firm. We recognize they can work elsewhere. We recognize that, you know, today people tend to move around a little quicker than maybe they did when you and I were growing up. And it's important to keep the attrition down for a multitude of reasons, uh, yeah. not just profits. Yeah, no, I totally agree with you. Um, you know, what I hear also as, you're, as we've been talking for this few minutes is, is um, the mindset that we must stay relevant, right? Not yeah. just as individuals, right? I, I mean, I've been through some changes in my life had children. My firstborn was born with a, a Down syndrome. So I saw that you were involved in the Special Olympics. So he does, he does Special Olympics. But um, so that changed my whole path. I was going to go back to work when I had my son. I was in finance. I was a CFO. And then I was like, yeah, no, been there, done that. I need to you know, do this. Learned about nonprofits, kind of made the switch. you know. And I talk with young women and mothers who stay at home somehow you have to figure out a way to stay relevant. As we get older, we have to figure out how do we stay current with technology? How do we stay current with trends, right? Because things are changing right before our very eyes, you know, every minute. Um, so as individuals, we need to stay relevant, but also as a firm, we need to, as a company, as an organization, we need to stay relevant and not be stuck in those old ways, you know? Um, and so I, I think that's very interesting. And you and I chatted just for a moment earlier about the legal industry and how being relevant and, and being forward thinking has really, really helped your firm um, and has helped you to stand out from the rest. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yes. In fact, you're right. We, we did touch on that earlier. And that is probably one of the most important ingredients to our success. The fact that most law firms, in my opinion, um, are and have been very traditional in their mindsets and how they conduct their business and how they uh, seek to grow and, and, and incorporate various components to a business that I think are very important that most outside law firm arena businesses do practice on a regular basis. And those things, again, like technology, like flexibility, like culture, um, like understanding that you have a lot of individual needs to be met, not just internally, but externally, and that you need to invest into the business, you need to invest into your people, you need to invest in a, a variety of different things, has made it relatively, I don't wanna say easy, but within the, the, the confines of the legal industry, we have grown tremendously, we have become very diverse as a result, 
of those investments and that mindset, a progressive mindset, a mindset that's truly business oriented, running a law firm like a business, understanding you're selling a product that's legal services, but that the rest of business day-to-day operations, business development, HR, technology, onboarding, all those things have to be consistent with the way today's business operates. And not just today's business, you have to be prepared for how tomorrow's business is Mm -hmm. going to operate. So we have been very fortunate in that I think like that and the two owners, uh, my two other owner partners, they also think like that. And more importantly, and I, I always say this, this is one of my mantras, Um, I find that if I'm the smartest guy in the room, I'm in the wrong room. Mm. Uh, I like to embrace and have people surround me who are experts in their respective areas. So we went out early on and when we went up, moved into this venture of taking a law firm and really operating it as a business and incorporating what we know is most important to our clients, good legal services, client services, things like that but taking those other components and adding them into the recipe, we went out and hired a tremendously talented chief human resource officer, a chief strategy officer, a chief business development officer, a chief marketing officer, a chief relations officer, a chief informational officer. I mean, we put together a C-suite. You got a lot of chiefs. (laughs) You also have a lot of Indians too, so. Exactly, exactly, exactly. Um, I love that, I mean, I just, you said that never be the smartest person i just wanted to go boom done i live by that so i i truly rely upon the opinions and expertise of those people and unlike other traditional law firms that may have have these positions or you may read in their red website that they have these positions or you may hear those people speak at functions or events the, the difference, in my opinion, is in our law firm, those people operate the firm day to day with very little oversight. They know the direction. They know the vision that I have set. They go out and they execute it every day. We are not a firm or the owners of this firm, myself, again, my two partners, are not micromanagers. The various C-levels and the people who work under them have tremendous autonomy in the day to day um execution of the vision, which is, again, discussed on another uh, at various collaborative meetings and things like that that we have. You know, and and that's so interesting um, because I think, you know, you hear a lot about micromanaging, right, versus empowering and giving autonomy. And and there's some things that have to be in place when when we give people right that that authority uh, to go and do it. And I think that there's a couple of things that stick out for me. And um, I'm curious to hear what what you think make it work. Um, but for me, it's one is trust. Absolutely. I was thinking right. that you were talking, that would be my first word out of the box. Yep. Or criteria, I should say. Yeah. I mean, you have to trust them. They have to trust you. Right. And then the second one, which you kind of hinted at there for a moment is vision. Everybody has to know where you're going. Yes. Right. And I, so talk a little, you kind of mentioned that in there, but I wanted, wanted to get a little deeper into that. Absolutely. And that's important. And we meet uh, at two retreats a year with the C's, the C-level suite uh, and ownership. And we, we outline the vision for that year uh, and sometimes longer. 
And again, we talk about different ways in which that vision will be executed. But at the end of the day, it is imperative that you have a plan. And again, I'm not a believer like, and, and this is more traditional, um, you know, even like budgets. Budgets today are what we, we call rolling budgets. The days of a budget where everybody sits down and decides what you're going to spend for six months or a year are almost, they're impossible to, to execute. I mean, things change, things come at you, pandemics other things that you could never imagine in running a business. So I, I like to use the term rolling budgets. You know, your budget can be adjusted every quarter, sometimes more often, sometimes not as often, but you have the ability and flexibility as our C-levels do to have that in, in their arsenal of things that they can do. Mm -hmm. So they're constantly, they're not locked into anything and you gotta make it work within the confines of, you know, X. Um, but going back to the vision. So the vision has to include, again, um, what's relevant. So a lot of research, a lot of reading, a lot of consulting with experts, even outside the experts that you employ. Um, so you understand what is relevant out there? What is coming? Is it AI that you need to be uh, paying attention to? Can these things be done uh, more efficiently through te technology? Can these things be done or leveraged or scaled through technology and other means? So it is very, very important. But as you also mentioned, collaboration is another big word we use, even though we, we call the, the various areas we follow or, or, or practice in our lanes, and we like to say stay within your lane, we, have, we are extremely collaborative and we teach that. We teach it not just within the C-levels and directors, but to the lawyers, to the partners, to everybody we employ, down to the file clerks and receptionists. We want everybody involved, but at the same time, we want you to stay and work within your lane um, but collaborate with those who help you in your lane. And certainly, um, like a lot of very successful establishments, if you have an idea, if you see something that you feel can be value to the company, make somebody aware of that. Yeah. So basically, you're, you know, you're giving them a voice. Absolutely. At every level. Yeah. Um, I don't, because I don't they, like the term staff. I don't like the term employee. I like the term team. We're a team. And we're all even. We're all, you know, we all put our pants on one leg at a time. There's yeah. no, because I hold the title of CEO and owner doesn't make me any different than the person, you know, who's answering the phones downstairs or one of our entry level lawyers. We are all accessible, available. You can call me 24 seven. It doesn't have to be about anything in particular, just to say hello. It could be, you know, an idea. It could be a complaint. Um, obviously we like to follow the, follow the chain, go through HR and certain things, but we are not people who sit behind closed doors and because of a title are not accessible to the contrary. Yeah, I agree. And, and boy, has that been a shift from how I grew up, right? In the work, work field. It was, you did not have a voice at the table unless you were on that C level, right? Um, you were handed the budget, or you were handed the plan, if you were handed the plan, if you even knew where the company was going. And I worked for a huge company in New York City. Um, and and I, I can remember it was so different. But being someone who loves that whole creativity side and being a part of the vision and, and, and loving that piece, I missed that when I was coming up right through the workforce. And so I'm so thrilled that, you know, I, I know people talk about the millennials in, in, in sometimes not very positive ways. I've chosen to embrace them because I think they have brought us to this place or at least certainly have contributed to us being here um, and bringing us who didn't grow up in this environment 
closer to to where we are today, and I love it. Um, I think the the other thing that you um, you just kind of hit on, and and I want to just touch on it for a second. You mentioned the chief marketing officer, and we've talked about some of the others, uh, technology, human resources, uh, business development was the other one that I love um, that you actually have a whole team uh, and department dedicated to business development, which is like sales, I guess, right? Um, And then also relations, which sounds to me more like customer service kind of thing. So I love the way that you're structured and the focuses of those the C-levels. But talk about marketing for a second. You have so many stakeholders, right? And so many different people you're marketing to and that you want to know your brand. So every demographic is different. Uh, You have community people, you have other attorneys, right? Because you wanna stay front and center so that when they consider moving, they consider your firm. You have potential clients, right? I mean, the list goes on and on. How do you brand, right? Or how important has that been to brand the organization um, to all of those different groups and how, how do, well, I know now you have an amazing marketing person who knows how to, how to do all this, exactly. right? That's how you do it. <laughs> uh, but I think branding is so important because honestly, until I met actually one of your partners, maybe three years ago, I want to say three or four years ago, um, and who Heath, I think he's going to be on also, and he runs marathons. I met him through one of our board members. I had never heard of Kelly Cronenberg. And that's true. I mean, we had had that and still to this day have that uh, in some venues. And that was something that was extremely important to us early on. And again, I give credit to that uh, area with our original chief business development officer, who was the first C-level person we ever hired eight years ago, by the way, Tom Traberka. Uh, Tom has been instrumental, although his lane has, uh, I don't want to say shrunk because other CMOs and CROs have come in. We have purposely, you know, tried to focus Tom more on the actual BD component versus marketing, which, as you may understand, not everybody does. There's a very different uh, job responsibility to from sales or BD to marketing, which can incorporate incorporate branding and some sales as well and can include internal and external and so on and so forth. But it has been extremely important for us uh, as a company to continue to brand ourselves, to make sure that our um, search engine optimization is is at, at, at its height to make sure our, our internet and our Facebook and our LinkedIn and you know Instagram and everything else continues to grow. Things that we, the three of us, the owners, um, probably we're not overly involved in too much on a personal level because of the generation that we came from um, and, and didn't have too much experience with that growing up, um, unlike kids today. But certainly branding is number one. Um, certainly you've got to back it up at the end of the day, but they're never going to get to you if they don't know who you are. So we recognized exactly what you said in that three, four years ago, a lot of people had never heard of us. Um, Remember, we started out as a small one-dimensional firm doing some insurance defense specialty work. And today we're a 40, 50 practice area group firm with 175 lawyers um, and handle a lot of different things, not just for institutions like insurance companies and banks, but for individuals as well. So the branding is is absolutely paramount to our success. And it's a very interesting point you mentioned because we in the last four years 
really have started to expand our practice into more of the consumer, meaning the family law practice, the employment law practice, the bankruptcy practice. Um, and not that we don't do institutional in those areas as well, we do, but um, the immigration practice. Those, a lot of those are, are, are B2B or B2C. And in those instances, it is just almost your, your death nail if you are not branding, if you are not present on the internet, if you are not doing other progressive things um, I can't even call them progressive anymore. Um, okay. Other socially social media type things to get your name and your and your practice areas out there. So yeah. I, I couldn't agree with you more. And and we are. I would say if we have a weakness, um, and, and not so much because we haven't been doing it or investing in it, but we just haven't been doing it that long. It would be the the branding of the entity Kelly Cronenberg beyond South Florida and and some of the other areas we have offices in throughout Florida. And, you know, and recognizing that that weakness or that challenge is, you know, the first thing that's what, you know, creates the opportunity. Right. If we know what it is, we'll we can do something about it and find the opportunities to do better. Uh, what you know, it's interesting. We've there's just some amazing ingredients here. And when I read some of them, it's really funny to hear somebody read them back because you go, wow, that's pretty cool. You know, um, but and a lot of them were about the firm. So I'm curious. What is it, Michael, that has helped you to stand out, right? There's I don't, thousands and thousands of, of attorneys, right, uh, here in South Florida. I don't even know how many. But, um, you know, what is it about you that has allowed you to stand out and to build a, a successful practice? Well, I think, first of all, I'm a, I'm a person that uh, likes to interact with people. So that's always important. I always get along with people. I love to meet new people. I love to meet people out and about, and I'm a person who likes to socialize um, when I do have time in the evenings and weekends. Uh, so I think that's important. Uh, for me, I think I had the benefit of being um, some, some good in, internal uh, and innate business sense. Even though I have a title as lawyer and training as lawyer, I really have the mindset of a business person. So for me, again, growing up in a, in a practice and particularly this firm that had very good lawyers as their original owners, um, they saw that in me uh, and that potential in me and let me take the reins, so to speak, with regard to the business. So I was able to show them, look, by doing this and this and this, we can make our business better. Uh, we can grow our business. We can diversify our business. We can make it more profitable and so on and so forth. So that's really how I came to be successful. I was very fortunate in that it's been my only job. Uh, as you mentioned, I was hired. I, I was amazed by that when I read the bio. I've never worked anyplace else. Wow. Uh, meaning post-law school. Right. Um, as I said earlier, I had many jobs as a young person. Um, but uh, it, it, it really allowed me, uh, by being hired by this firm, uh, there was some luck involved. There was a lot of hard work involved, timing, like everybody says. And I, I grew up and learned how to practice. And then I took that uh, into BD, business development. And then I took that into business operations. So I've had a, a taste of all of the components to the success of a law firm. Um, and more so in my later years, I uh, have had some good mentors with these C-level people in teaching me, because I'm not an MBA, uh, I'm not a CFO, uh, I do not have an accountant rather, I don't have those trainings. So I've had the business uh, training from some of my mentors. And as I said, it was just, it, it comes rather naturally to me and I enjoy it. So I think people see that in me. I don't take two things too seriously. I think people like that about me. 
Um, I'm very forgiving. I think people like that about me uh, in a business sense. I'm talking about, of course. Um, and I think I'm very, I know I'm very accessible. Um, look, I'm, I'm sitting here in a T-shirt, you know, uh, it's it's I, not that I do that pre-pandemic, but I, I, I never I got away from suits and ties. It's not who I am. It's not what I want to represent. I do it when I have to. Obviously, if I had to go to court for some reason, which, as I said, I don't practice anymore, so not too often. But if I were meeting a new client, I would probably put a blazer on. But a tie to get me on a, in a tie is is not easy. Yeah, thank goodness that the South Florida culture doesn't really require that too much anymore. Um, you, those are, you just like the list of, of personal ingredients that you just read off were, uh, was tremendous. And it's interesting because when I think about you now, I would, I think I would have trouble deciding which title I would give you first, entrepreneur or lawyer. I would prefer entrepreneur. Yeah, I mean, because yeah. everything you've talked about is what makes you an entrepreneur, right? The creativity, the looking forward thinking, you know, the authenticity, the hard work, the all of the things you talk about, the business mindset, uh, that's entrepreneurship, right? You just happen to be a specialist in law. So I think if I had to describe you based on this, this conversation today it would be entrepreneur. Yeah. And you, you remember growing up in the, in the time frame that I grew up, um, you know, and having the parents that I had, it was go to law school because that's something that, you know, you can use in any uh, business opportunity in the, down the road. So that's exactly what I did. I went to law school because um, I was a little undecided at the time what to do. I went on to law school and it's kind of a notch in your belt that no one can ever take away. And it has allowed me to think, to learn to think a certain way, have the experiences I had when I practice, but use it now more in a business uh, context. And, and, and I do. I never introduce myself as a lawyer. Not that I'm not proud to be a lawyer. I'm certainly proud of what I accomplished. Um, and, and, and that even goes to people that we interview. I don't, I've never asked anybody their grades, what law school they go to. I mean, it's certainly it's on their resume. Uh, those don't interest me. I look for more of an in, internal aspect in somebody, a personality in somebody, somebody that has that special, I call it a diamond in the rough. And I've only had a couple that, you know, have have all of those components because finding typically individuals that whether they're engineers, doctors, lawyers, they're, they're wired a certain way and they're mm -hmm. in their profession yeah. because of the way they're, they're, they're innately wired, their DNA. Um, so when you find a lawyer who has that business component, business sense, uh, operational sense, and they contain both. Um, those are special people from my perspective in my world. I'm not suggesting there aren't many special people in many aspects of the world in our community. All special in some yeah, way. Exactly. Right. So in, in my world, that's a special person. So um, that that's why I always am very proud to say, as you said, I'm more of an entrepreneur and, and yeah. a, a visionary. I like the word visionary in the practice uh, area that we are in, the business of law. Yeah, I love it. So, so many, I, I have two pages of notes. I mean, crazy. Um, you and uh, Listen, if I were cooking right now, there's no way I would pick this recipe because it's got too many things. Um, but I like recipes with just a few. But when it comes to leadership and it comes to business, um, I, I, you know, every one of these is a necessity. The question is, which one is your main ingredient to success? Trust and transparency. Mm. People Love it. can trust me, and I am very transparent. I believe in giving people 
everything they're entitled to know about the business, about their particular area within the business, uh, whether it be financial or otherwise, and my candidness. I would add candidness. I am a candid person. Sometimes that will get me in trouble with people, um, but if they know me. Are you from New York, Michael? I am. I could hear the New York. Yes, we tend to be a little candid at times, and it does sometimes get us in trouble. <laughs> I, I could hear that. So trust, and to me, transparency and candidness kind of go together. Yes. I mean, because, uh, you know, uh, how we say it, right, is, is, is maybe the candid part more so. But being open about things and, and just putting it out there, right, and maybe that is part of our New York background and the way we grew up. But I, I don't want to guess. I don't want to. I don't want to harbor things. I. I just let's. I, I always say let's clear the decks, right? Let's put it out there. Let's talk about it. And we all got a big shoulders. We're we're here for the same reason. And if we trust that we're here for the same reason, right? To do good things, whether it's in my business, your business, then then that's okay. Right. I mean, then, then we need to be transparent and candid. So in my opinion, um, I love it. I love all of these ingredients. I've really enjoyed getting to know you. Um, I think our audience will get to, to really get to enjoy uh, hearing some of your ingredients and, and different from from Howard. So I love it. Uh, and I think I, I can't wait to meet Heath because now I'm going to be able to put the whole picture together. Uh, and he's a marathon runner. So he's probably got a little bit different perspective. Right. Yeah about things and and well, I'm more meticulous about things he's uh, he's actually an iron man um oh that's right iron man yeah. that's right okay. that's right yeah so he's uh, a he's a hard worker a very dedicated disciplined individual yeah. and a little and, and 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 is probably a little more meticulous i'll let Heath explain who Heath is i won't right. share that with you but, <laughs> but i would add i mean anybody who does iron man they have to be more meticulous <laughs> and disciplined right um but thank you so much for thank for the you. time that you gave up to be with me and and with our audience today and i really really appreciate it i hope one day we get to see you out at ja world love to give you a tour and um have you i can't wait for our kids to hear everything you shared uh and we might have to try to get you in front of them one day so thanks so much well, thank you have a great afternoon you too. And thanks everyone for watching. Look forward to our next episode of JA's Recipe for Success. Let's get cooking.